Hello and welcome to a bonus birthday edition of Rich Pickings, Fidelity's Asset Allocation Podcast. We're a whole two years old, and what better way to mark the occasion than to invite back a couple of our contributors from that first episode back in 2017 and to see how what they said then stacks up against what they think now. I'm Richard Edgar, Editor-in-Chief, and with me, festooned with party hats, and a shame this isn't video, are Portfolio Manager Bill McQuaker and Chief Investment Officer of Multi-Asset James Bateman. That hat suits you, James. Thank you both for joining me. Now, before we get started, let's set the scene. Our first episode went out in June 2017, just after Janet Yellen, then chair of the US Federal Reserve, had announced a second rate rise for the year, as well as a reduction in the Fed's balance sheet, while China was in the middle of a stimulus program it had begun the year before. Donald Trump was just six months into his new job, and Emmanuel Macron had emerged as the new president of France. Formal negotiations between Britain and the EU around Brexit were just about to start, and Despicable Me 3 had just hit the cinemas. At least one of those has aged well. James and Bill, casting your minds back, before we play you some clips from that episode, any guesses what you were thinking back then? And I should tell listeners that uh, there are some rather worried faces in the studio right now because we haven't briefed our guests on this this game. James, let's hear from you first. I would have thought I was thinking we are approaching late cycle because i think i've been saying that since we started this podcast um and but that it wasn't yet time to take risk off the table and so we should we were we wanted to remain overweight risk assets that would be my guess let's see and what about you bill i i think i was either talking about an uncomfortable equilibrium which was a world in which the stars were aligned and equity markets could continue to do quite well as they had been doing or i'd pivoted to a more cautious stance for somewhere in the summer of 2017 i pivoted more cautious so it's one of those two things let's find out very genuinely what um, what you were saying at the time james first so when we look at risk assets and particularly when we look at equities they're not cheap but they're not really in bubble territory and the macroeconomic environment is fine at the moment even if it's deteriorating and therefore actually there could be a a, a reasonably lengthy period you know months of equity markets moving up before before we see market starting to price in uh, macroeconomic issues. The, I mean, the market's had an extraordinary bull run, hasn't it? Um, you know, the best part of a decade almost. It has. It has. Um, it, asset prices have, uh, well, share prices in the US have trebled in that time, and they, it could go further. It definitely could go further. But this is the uncomfortable bit. And actually, you know, this is really where um, I think the, the asset allocation group comes to the fore, that every single one of us is, is to a greater or lesser extent uncomfortable owning equities and being overweight equities. But every single one of us is also aware that, that if you're not braver for longer, if you don't stay in the equity markets for um, long enough, you miss out on that last real leg of, of moves in equity markets. And that can really impede long term returns. James, we sound so much younger then, don't we? Um, I felt so much younger then, Richard. <laughs> Indeed. But um, braver for longer, um, that really became I've a bit of a... that catchphrase. Yes, yes, it became quite a motif. Um, it really has been longer, hasn't it? It's been a lot longer. You know, we've, we've gone from a very long bull market to the longest bull market in history since we started the podcast. That, that means we've felt increasingly uncomfortable whilst also having to ride um, risk for most of that period. And how much longer will we have to be brave? Well, you know, we've stopped being brave. I mean, the reality as a team is uh, we are, you know, we're underweight equities now. Um, and we're not yet calling the end of the cycle. It might be that there's further to go in the bull market. It might be there's another leg. But now does not feel a time you want to be brave. And, and, and actually, that is, you know, whilst historically we've gone neutral equities, this is the first underweight. And I think that tells you something that bravery has, has, has left the room of the asset allocation team. Right. So portfolios. Bill, how different does your portfolio look now compared with back in June 2017? 
as I said a moment ago, I, I can't recall whether in June 2017 I pivoted a bit more cautious or, or not. But if we assume for a moment that I was still in the uncomfortable equilibrium world, then I am, in simple terms, less exposed to the equity market and more exposed to assets that I think will hold up or actually will increase in price um, if uh, this more difficult climate continues as we go through the second half of 2019. Well, with the power of audio technology, we're about to find out. Um, and wow. we'll, we'll talk about um, uh, Europe. Now, you made a comment back in 2017 that this was one of the most interesting stories of the year, Europe, a story that was generating optimism on your part. And this is what you had to say. The kind of elements that have been encouraging uh, have been quite numerous. Fundamentally, the, the economy, one way of thinking about it is the ECB has finally gotten traction uh, and uh, an economy that was struggling to grow, very dependent on exports, has now got quite a broad-based growth dynamic to it. The, the domestic consumers has kicked in, for example, and unemployment's come down very considerably. The politics of Europe, uh, the market came into 2017 fearful that the, uh, the the populism that characterized 16 and the surprises that came off it uh, would be the big story of Europe that the uh, the Dutch election would uh, see a swing to the right the French election swing to the right those things haven't happened uh, and instead we've got uh, a narrative forming perhaps that's much much more encouraging um, where Europe is is refinding itself refinding purpose um, and uh, if, if the Macron's victory is followed by a victory by Merkel in Germany uh, and perhaps Renzi uh, in Italy in 2018, then Europe could, uh, could have a, a story that's about being a bastion of stability, um, progressive ideas uh, in a world that's fraught with uncertainty. So it's interesting what actually happened off the back of that. So we did get um, another government for um, uh, Angela Merkel, but Renzi um, left, and there's a coalition then between the right-wing league and the anti-establishment five-star movement. And of course, Brexit has become much messier um, since then, perhaps spreading some uh, some uncertainty. And of course, we've just had the European elections, which saw a rise in, in populism in many um, countries. So was that optimism of yours um, just a passing phase? I think it has uh, turned out to be just a passing phase. And the, the thing that you miss in your comments uh, is the narrative concerning the economy. Uh, for if you look at the European economy in 2016, and in particular in 2017, those positive factors that I described were really coming to the fore. And uh, had they continued into 18 and 19, I think the politics would probably have had a quite different flavour from the uh, the ones uh, the one that you just uh, remarked on, but the reality is growth peaked at the end of 17 and since the beginning of 18 we've been slowing down again. Um, countries like Italy have seen a technical recession, un unemployment begin to pick up, and the the much talked about, much hoped for escape velocity for the European economy that would allow the ECB to normalise interest rates and for us to, in, in, in many regards, follow in the footsteps of the United States, but with a, a four or five year lag, simply hasn't come to pass. And it's it's an interesting insight into the the necessity for active management, because what I described in the summer of, of 17, I, I think was quite a controversial view and for the next six months was right on the money as far as the performance of, of asset markets is concerned. 
But as I've just said, that 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 passed. In terms of my portfolio positioning, I, I did really quite well out of having those views. But round about the right time, a little bit early to be fair, I decided that conditions had changed sufficiently that that optimism wasn't as relevant to asset markets as it had been. And as a result, I, uh, I began the process of reducing my exposure to, to European equities and, and actually to uh, to equities in some other parts of the world too, if we take the last 18 months as a whole. So it's, yeah, it's a really nice example of, of how the world changes and we should expect that. But the important thing is that portfolios change too, and ideally uh, in anticipation of what's going to happen next. And I think we did that with some, some degree of alacrity. You've got to be dynamic. And in fact, at that time, um, I remember that we were talking about um, how the cycle uh, might end, concluding that 10-year um, bull run, although it, it didn't. James, here's a clip from you. The bull market so far has been dull. What's driven the bull market has been quality dividend-paying stocks. There is no excitement really in those re-rating upwards. So, so when you look at the last leg of a bull market, typically it is frothy, it is animal spirits, it is irrational exuberance. We have seen none of that. And therefore, really, um, what we're waiting for is a sector or an area of the market to really have that, that irrational move up that can be very substantial, that can actually have a very big impact on long-term returns if you're in it or indeed you're not in it, but that should come. And until you have that, it's hard to imagine a, a big bear market, you know, seizing and, and, and fear appearing in the market. Uh, have you had any fun since then, James? Any exuberance? I, I, I'm strongly of the view, Richard, that, that, that fun doesn't really exist. So um, clearly I've had no fun. <laughs> um, but, you know, more generally, I think it's probably fair to say that, that we have seen more irrationality in markets. Uh, one of the things that probably typifies the, the gap between then and now is we've started to see business models come under pressure. What we saw actually was dull stocks like the ones I described and stocks with similar characteristics but with flawed business models both going up together and then the flawed business models being exposed and the company collapsing Carillion for example. Um, we've seen clearly the fangs go from expensive to super expensive um, and wobble as a result. And actually, we've probably seen some irrational exuberance over extrapolating economic data. You know, one of my concerns is that, that the U.S. is clearly very late cycle. Others oh, are very late, clearly late cycle. And, and to an extent, the market's been looking through that and saying, yeah, but it's still OK. And I think there probably is just a... And, and we've done that to an extent. We've looked at the data, said, OK, the next few months probably are OK. But the medium-term outlook for most economies is troubling. The Fed has switched from, from, a, from a tightening view to probably a, 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 a looser monetary policy. We should be getting worried about that. That might be short-term stimulative, but medium-term we should be concerned. So I think probably the market has, is not sorry, sufficiently discounting the risks to the future now. And, and Bill, you were nodding along. I mean, not, not an, uh, an awful lot of irrational exuberance. It might be irrational, but it's... Oh, I, are, think, are we I, for... I think there's been tons of exuberance. You've just got to look in the right place. It, it pains me to you're, say... You're, it. you're going to better parties than me. It, it, <laughs> probably. Um, it pains me to say it, but I think James was really quite prescient with those remarks <laughs> in the middle of 2017. The, the notion that bull markets typically have some sort of uh, kind of excitement towards the end uh, is borne out by history and we've seen it this time as well where have we seen it this time we've seen it in the united states and we've seen it in the technology sector and if you look at how markets have evolved over the last 18 months or so there has been a very distinct narrowing in performance um in, in the world index is actually still uh, despite the rally this year below where it was february 2018 
Um, so I, I think that uh, just looking at the data, it suggests that maybe this, uh, this, this bull market is rolling over. But within the makeup of the global index, the US has done exceptionally well. And actually, as recently as the end of April, beginning of May, got to new all-time highs led by a very narrow set of stocks. The FANGs and other technology stocks have uh, been critical, but uh, there are companies like Visa and MasterCard, and, and they share the same nature. And, and that is that there are companies that the market has very, very strong beliefs about the medium-term growth, growth profile. And uh, that's, that's the ir- irrational, the very uh, hopeful behaviour that James was talking about uh, uh, a couple of years ago. Well, um, back then we asked you what uh, signals you'd be looking for that would indicate the end of uh, the cycle. And here's, here's what you had to say then. The development that I would uh, take most pleasure in um, builds on on James's narrative. Uh, it is capitulation by uh, by value investors, capitulation by bears, and a final run to the top, which uh, I, I think, uh, if one looks at it in a level-headed way, it would be quite easy to sell that 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 kind of meaningful move up uh, in in indices. If, if we don't get that scenario, um, if uh, if it's more kind of muted uh, in terms of the uh, the, the end game, I, I think we need to look hard at credit markets. Credit markets usually sniff out bad bad things uh, before equity markets do. And if one looks at investment grade, if one looks at high yield, they're they're surprisingly relaxed uh, at the moment. And and that's a another thing that makes one think this 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 period of uh, of, of relatively happy times uh, has still got a few months to run at, at least. As indeed it did, um, Bill. And what about credit markets now? Credit markets haven't been as prescient as they sometimes uh, are, as we've seen in previous cycles. Uh, the, the sell-offs in equities have been contemporaneous uh, with distress in credit markets this time rather than uh, credit taking the lead. Where there's perhaps been a, a, a more meaningful signal coming from, from bonds uh, is in government bond markets. Uh, if you look at the extent to which yields have dropped Worldwide now, because uh, the US has uh, seen yields come charging down in the last few weeks, the 10-year yield says actually the economy is definitely darkening. And a more technical uh, perspective is to look on at the slope on the yield curve, the difference between short rates and long rates. Uh, that's a classic uh, bear market and recession uh, indicator. And many, many uh, bond markets now have a negative slope on the yield curve, um, which is something that makes me nervous and makes a lot of people nervous about what the future holds. Okay, well, um, we'll find out. We're almost out of time. Before we wrap up, though, it's uh, time for hot cakes and hot potatoes. But um, I would like your choices for the world of 2017. So a reminder, this is the investments that um, you would buy like hot cakes or drop like a hot potato. So, um, Bill, can you guess or remember what your choices were back in uh, in 2017 in June? Your hot cakes. I, uh, hot cake... Given the the quote you, uh, you you played was probably European equities that would be consistent. It was, uh, it was gold. Oh oh well yeah. that's interesting. <laughs> that's that's very interesting. Um, I, that that was going to be my hot cake today. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and and your hot potato back then. What do you think it might have been? 
thing you would be dropping in June 2017? Credit. Sterling. Um, perhaps Brexit-driven. But, okay. um, yeah. Uh, yeah. but there we go. James, what about you? Do you remember? Uh, no, I don't at all, Richard, and I dearly wish I'd leant over and seen <laughs> what you had written there. Um, <laughs> so my, my guess is my hot cake was some form of equities, either US or European, but I'm probably European wrong. banks. European banks. Yep. Oh, wow. And hot potato? Was it clever enough to be European debt, or was it U.S. Treasuries, or no? Uh, higher yielding, higher income end of stocks and bonds. Okay, fair enough. Got down here. Yeah. Well, don't uh, don't worry, because both of you get a party bag to go home with, and that is the end of this special edition of Rich Pickings. Happy birthday to us, and thank you as always to you for listening. Please do take a moment to like and review us in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like more detail on anything we've covered here, it's published in full on our website. And if you'd like to discuss anything further, just ask your Fidelity contact. Thank you very much indeed to my. My guests, James Bateman and Bill McQuaker, the producer, were Seb Morton-Clark. Goodbye. This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied on by private investors. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is intended only for the person or entities to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without prior permission of fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please see our website, professionals.fidelity.co.uk forward slash about hyphen fidelity.